If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to uh, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Give me a second while I get my notes in order. John chapter 8, verses uh, 12 through 20 today. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you neither, excuse me, Jesus answered, you neither, you know neither me nor my father, for if you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. That is the word of the Lord. So this passage is pretty awesome. It comes at just the right time for us in our sermon series, um, in our walk through John. And I think it's going to be wonderful for all of you who are here. It was wonderful for me in preparing it, Uh, especially with considering, you know, in the world that we live in right now and and, uh, everything that we deal with. Um, the, the world that we live in now is, is so filled with trouble, and it's filled with trouble because of the fall and because of sin and, and what has developed through the, in the world throughout the years. It has become so dark. So in a world that's so full of trouble and so dark, where is our light as Christians? That's the question that we need to ask this morning. Where is our light? Where is where's our source of, of faith? Right? Where is our source of, of hope, of love? of purpose, you know, where's our source of life, everything that goes with it, of holiness, uh, where do we get all that from? And in our passage today, Jesus reveals that we get that from him. Why? Because he is the light of the world. And that's what he uh, reveals in John chapter 8, specifically verse 12. Now that's very meaningful for all of us in here. Um, Even if you are someone who uh, hasn't come to faith yet, even if you do not believe, Jesus being the light of the world is extremely important for you. Uh, but for, thus, for those of us who have believed in Christ as our Lord and Savior, um, it is important for us to, to, to know that Jesus is the light of the world and he is our light, right? He is the source of our, of our everything. So in this section of scripture, starting in verse 12 all the way through uh, actually 59, Jesus begins to testify concerning himself. In other words, he begins to tell the Jews who he is. And he tells them very explicitly that he is the Messiah. And uh, 
it's through this dialogue that he has with the Jews that we, we are really, really blessed. Um, our passage here in verse 12, he begins with an I am statement. Now, these I am, I am statements are important because you can trace them back all the way to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, whenever um, God tells Moses, I am who I am. And Jesus is, is connecting the dots all the way back to the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3. And this is actually the second I am statement from Jesus. If you will remember the first, the first took place in chapter 6, verse 35, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And pointing back to the fact that he, he was, number one, he is the manna that was promised, the eternal manna that was promised to the people. Uh, he feeds his sheep and his sheep grow, get nourishment from him. And, and those are all wonderful things that uh, him being the bread of life point back to, that he gives eternal life, not just, uh, not just sustenance for this world, but, but beyond that. So that was the first I am statement in this gospel. This is here is the second. And as I said, these I am statements are important because they, uh, through Jesus saying, I am the, the light of the world, or I am the bread of life, essentially what he is saying is that I am God's only begotten son. And he was revealing the fullness of his deity as God's son by pointing back to saying, I am. So it's not just him saying, I am this, I am that. There's a, there's a, a divine purpose behind it and a wonderful truth behind it that he is God's son. Now, if we know scripture um, as God's begotten son, we know that he came to the world to save the world by the giving of himself for sin. That's the whole purpose of, of him as God's son and the savior of the world. So what Jesus is really saying here is extremely important. It's, it's, it, you might just read into it and it's like, okay, well, it's just symbolism, but it's even more than that. He's proclaiming to be the son of God and he's proclaiming to be the savior of the world. And he's proclaiming it in, in a very special way by saying, I am the light of the world. Um, Christians are, first of all, we need, to, we need to know the impact of what he's saying. What, what he's saying by, by saying that I am the light of the world, he is revealing his relationship with his creation. That's extremely important. What, what he's saying is that, look, listen, I'm the reason why creation is here, number one. Um, and then number two, the dependency that creation has on him. So he's not only creator, but he's also sustainer. Now, as Christians and us looking at this passage, we need to know that we are especially dependent on Christ as our light because it is through him that we have life and that we have godliness, right? Because he's the one that makes it both possible for us to, to, to have life physically, spiritually, and uh, to follow after God obediently. Uh, so it is through him that we have life and godliness. So as the light of the world, uh, we, we must come to this conclusion that Jesus is our source and reason for everything in life. If we figure that out early on in our Christian walk, it, it's going to go a lot better for us. I'm not going to say it's going to go a lot easier for us because I'd be lying to you. It's not true. It's not going to be easier for us, but it sure, it sure helps knowing where our everything comes from. Amen? So, um, as the light of the world, Jesus is our source and reason for everything in life. So today, we're going to look at Jesus as the light of the world and see what it means to our Christian walk.
And I want to start off with some detail as to why Jesus even said that he is the light of the world. Um, he just didn't say it. It had a reason. And it was actually pretty cool and pretty important. So what's going on in this passage is if we go back to the beginning of chapter 7, we'll see that Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths. And about maybe about seven sermons ago, I think, six or seven sermons ago, maybe even further back, because I know Pastor Laramie preached two, two sermons. So it might have been maybe seven or eight sermons ago, we preached on the beginning of uh, John chapter 7. And the feast, the feast of booths were the same thing as the feast, the feast of the tabernacles. And this, this same thing is happening here in John chapter 8. So this is, the, this is the, the scenery behind everything, okay? It's in the middle of this feast. And we talked about then how this feast uh, began in September or October and basically lasted seven days. And this was probably the, probably the most, com- not the most common, but the most popular feast that, that the Jews had. Uh, this was a, a good time. And uh, there was, it was a big celebration uh, of the first gathering of the, of the fruits and the grain of harvest. So what they were celebrating was God's provision uh, for the people of Israel. And also, during this feast, they were remembering how God guided Israel through the wilderness and how he provided for them <clears throat> through all that. And what was really cool about this feast was people lived in booths or tents. Uh, they were man-made huts, I guess. And it doesn't matter if you lived in Jerusalem or you traveled from a long way. Everybody who was celebrating this feast, they, they were in booths for that whole week. Um, a lot of the booths were, were built on top of the, the houses because the houses were flat. The roofs were flat. A lot of them were built on top of that, and they would, they would sleep there and live there during the feast. And that was, again, pointing to the wilderness and them walking, you know, walking through and and not having a home, but living in tents. And offerings were made each day of the feast, uh, food offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, uh, just all kind of offerings, drink offerings. But a very part important, or important part of the festival is the lighting of the four lamps. These huge lamps that were in the court of the women uh, in the temple area. And once these, lamps were, these uh, lights were, were, were lit, there was a huge celebration. And there was, there was dancing and everything. I know, I'm speaking of Baptist, and I'm talking about dancing, right? There was dancing, there was a celebration, and uh, it, was, it was just a, a great time. And it was really neat because the lights that were lit uh, during the festival pointed to the glory of God, and it also pointed to his help, his, his constant presence in the nation of Israel and, and how he helped them uh, the whole way. And... Um, the, these lights were again pointing to his glory. Uh, there are several examples. Uh, first of all, the glory of the very presence of God in the cloud as he led the people by day and then by the pillar of fire by night. These are things that were remembered and celebrated during the lighting of these lamps. Uh, the protection he provided them uh, for those who were, who were seeking to destroy him, that was celebrated. And also the fact that there was this promised Messiah to come. That, the, that, that God had promised a Messiah, um, mainly out of Isaiah 49.6, where it talks about how there would be a light to the Gentiles and how God's kingdom would spread not only from the Jews, but to, to the ends of the world. So these are all things that were being uh, celebrated, and, and you see all this symbolism going on. And 
what, what was really cool about this light was that it cast a, a wonderful glow on the, the city of Jerusalem because the temple was at the highest part of the city. So the light would cast a wonderful glow on the city. And it was in this context when they lit the lamps and this wonderful glow just, just went across the whole city. Everything seemed like it was on fire from this light. This is where Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. It was awesome. People there got it. There wasn't like, oh, okay, what does he mean by I am the light of the world? Is he saying he's the sun? No, they, they saw the, 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 the symbolism. They got it. They, they were there. and They knew what they were celebrating. And Jesus is, is, is proclaiming, I am the savior of the world that God has promised his people. See, with Jesus making this proclamation, He was revealing to everyone that he was the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And uh, it was really special because think about this. As the promised Messiah in the Old Testament, those he was speaking to, they had actually prayed for his coming. First of all, they they grew up reading about him in Scripture, even though they didn't understand that it was Jesus who was to come. They had a different concept in their mind about who the Messiah was. They were thinking more of a military leader than, than what Jesus was. They were thinking of an earthly, earthly king instead of, instead of what they got in Jesus. But Jesus, the, the person that they read about, the person that they, they prayed for, here he was in the flesh saying, I am the light of the world. He was an answer to their prayers. And Not only that, but from the very beginning of creation, we see that the Bible points to Christ and this wonderful light that is coming into the world. See, God had answered their prayers. He has answered our our prayers. And uh, it's wonderful looking back at at, at how the Bible points to him as uh, the Savior that would come. It's funny that Brother David read Genesis 1-1 today because that's that's where I want to start this morning. Genesis 1 one through four. And it says here, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. What does that mean? Well, it means there was darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And listen to this. And God said, let there be light. And then there was light. And then God saw that the light was good. Now, no doubt this is a historical event, but looking back, we can also see it as a beautiful picture of Christ coming into the world as the light of the world. Because uh, there was much darkness when he came into the world, and he revealed himself as the light of the world. And for you and I, we must be grateful because um, without him, we would live in a dark world, both personally and also corporately as believers. So we praise God for sending the light. He would be the light in a dark place, and he would be perfectly and ultimately good. Just as God saw the light as good in creation. Um, The Gospel of John also speaks of the beginning and refers to the importance of the light. Listen to this out of the uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 through 5 for you. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, 
Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, listen to this, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, there's a lot of allusion to light in the Bible in referencing um, the Messiah. If you just, if you have Bible software, or if you just do a, a search uh, with using your, um, your the, the concordance in the back of your Bible, you just look up light and you can see how many verses in the Bible speak of this light. And it's pretty significant. There's a lot that speak to the light. And as Jesus making the proclamation that he is the light of the world, it makes the biggest difference to us. It's clear that the Bible points to him as the light. And it makes sure, and it's clear that the Bible says that he is the one who was to come, but even more so, he is the one who changed everything in this fallen world. So with Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, we must understand that um, he is the true light. Because John chapter 1 continues on and talks about Jesus. John 1, uh, verses 9 through 13 now. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he was the true light that was to come, and him being the true light, he was going to give light to everyone. So I share these passages with you to let you see for yourself that Jesus is making it very clear, and he's making this proclamation very clear. Um, that those who place their faith in him as Lord and Savior, well, that they're the ones who have the light of life. He is the light of the world. We place our faith in him. Then we have the light of life. John 12 says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So wonderful that we, <laughs> that we have our Savior. Because without him, imagine how your life would be. It would be complete, utter darkness. So, what does it mean for us to not be in darkness? What does it mean for us to have the light of the world or the light of life? Well, I can tell you, Jesus says here in verse 12 of our passage, chapter 8, he says, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. So three things right off the bat that it means, and then we're going to take a look at some application. I think the application part of this sermon is pretty important for us all. What does it mean to have the light of life? It means that, number one, if you have the light of life, it means that God has sent his son into the world as the light of the world in order to save it. Number one, that, that's what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. It means that God sent his son into the world as the light of the world in order to save it. Number two, 
If you have placed your faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, then you have the light of life in you. And then number three, if you have the light of life in you, then that light needs to shine through your life. That's what it means. I'm going to repeat that because I said it kind of fast, but I, I want people to really get this. Number one, Jesus being the light of the world means that God sent his son into the world in order to save it. If he is the light of the world to you, that means you have the light of life. That means you have placed your faith in Christ as Lord and Savior. And number three, if you do have the light of life in you, then that light needs to shine through your life. Very important. So what does it mean for us to let our light shine? First of all, I know we all, if, if we were raised in church, even if you weren't, you have little kids, you, you remember the song. I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing worth anything. So. But you remember the song, right? Let your light shine, right? I'm going to let my light shine. But how, how are we going to do that? How are we going to apply that to our everyday life. How are, how are we supposed to do that? Uh, the Bible calls Christians, number one, to be a light and a dark place. Um, I'm not saying that the, that the world is essentially an all evil. I, I won't go as far to say that because I know that God created the world and he created the world good. We're the ones who have brought evil into the world. But regardless, we live in a dark place because of sin and what sin has done in us and also in the world. The Bible talks about how we as creation, that we are yearning to be remade, right? So we do live in this dark place, um, and we need to be a light in the dark place with the purpose of pointing people to God. This is the whole point of life and, and ministry, to be the light in a dark place and point people to God. It is, it, it is the goal of our faith. Really and truly, if, if someone is teaching you that the goal of your faith is to get stuff, that's not the gospel. That's not true faith. The goal of your faith is to bring praise and glory to God. Period. So if we are going to bring praise and glory to God, then we need to be a light in a dark place. We need to point people to God. That is the point of our faith and the point of our ministry. Um, God must be, he must be glorified through our lives. So he must be glorified through what we say and what we do. Now, does this happen like automatically every, I mean, as soon as you become a Christian? No, it doesn't. But you know what? It should happen more and more as we live, as we grow, as we are sanctified by his word and his spirit. Right? We, we should be praising God with our lives as we grow as Christians. If somehow, some way, you're not praising God with your life at all, then I would seriously question, uh, if I were you, I would question my salvation. I would question if I actually ever had salvation because we know it cannot be taken away. But if God is working through you and you're bringing honor and glory to him, I'm not talking about perfection either. I'm just talking about a life of faith and repentance. Faith and repentance, that, that does not mean that we're living a, a perfect life at all. Because if that, that were the case, then all of us would be in trouble. I wouldn't even be able to preach to you if perfection was a requirement. But <clears throat> that's the place where we need to start. We need to realize that our life is about bringing honor and glory to God. So who's our example? 
Our example is Christ. He, our example is the Savior who is the light of the world. So let's make this really, really simple. I was thinking about how can we follow Christ? How can we follow him in pleasing God? Started thinking, well, what did Christ do whenever he was here on earth as the light of the world? Well, very first thing is that he brought glory to God. In fact, he did that perfectly. Every single day, every breath he took, everywhere he went, he brought glory to God. Now, that's impossible for you and I to do. That's why we must have faith in him, but it's true that he brought glory to God. What was the second thing he did? Well, Christ saved the lost. That's the second thing he did in order to be the light of the world. He brought glory to God and he saved the lost. And what's the third thing he did? Now I'm speaking in generality here, but the third thing he did was he served humanity. That's the third thing he did. He served those who needed help. Like if you look at his life and you, you make this, you know, these big general categories, that's exactly what Christ did. Now you can fill in all that with some really important details. But I'm trying to make it very simple for us so that we can follow him as our example, so that we can follow him as our light. So he praised God, he saved the world, and he served man, he served humanity. Now the Bible tells us that we must be imitators of God. Ephesians 5, chapter 1 tells us that we must be imitators of God as dearly beloved children and walk in love as he loved us. So if we are going to be imitators of God, then we must do what he does, right? That's why we are called Christians. So how are we going to do those three things? How do those three things look in our lives? See, in order to shine the light of Christ in this world, if we are going to be the light of life, if we're going to have the light of life in us and we are going to be light bearers, if we're going to shine our little light, in order to shine the light of Christ in this world, number one, we must glorify God through our lives. That's essential. We must do that. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but number one, it means that if we are going to glorify God through our lives, then we must live godly lives. We must be obedient to his word. We must be obedient to his will. You know what that means? That means life is really not about us, but it's about bringing honor and glory to God. That's about denying ourselves taking up our cross, and following him. That's what it means. Now, I can say that, but when we put that into action, it is very difficult. Because imagine, imagine all the things that you love as a person, as a believer. These are things that, that, that you love. And right now, you're probably thinking, well, God calls me to things that I love. Right? Everybody wants to think that. If, if, you're, if you're thinking, well, God has called me to this church because this church has so much to offer me. I'd like to tell you that if you're thinking that, then you, you kind of have things a little bit backwards. Right? Because we don't join a body because of what it has to offer us. We join, we are part of the body to minister to the body. 
the ministry that you're in right now, if you're in one, and I, I mean within the church. Some people say, well, you know what? I'm not called to teach uh, kids. I'm like, well, brother, sister, how do you know that? Did God specifically tell you that? No, I just don't, have, I just don't like kids. <laughs> That's fine. I can see your point. But does God only call us to those things that we love? When you look at the disciples, did, did Paul love to be beat and whipped and persecuted and abandoned and all the things that it said that happened to him? I'm sure he didn't love that. John, did he love to be deserted on an island? I'm sure he didn't love that. See, as Christians, we must realize that life is, even though it's our life, it's not about us. We must make the sacrifices that we need to make in order that God's name be glorified. That's what it's about. And is it, is it easy? No, it's very difficult. Is, is, and it's very humbling. And sometimes you doubt that you're doing the right thing. And a lot of times it doesn't make sense to the world. Because people will question you. People who don't understand, they're like, why did you give that up? Why are you doing this a certain way? The world doesn't understand it, but, but we as a church, we do. We get it. Life's not about us. It's about bringing honor and glory to God ultimately. Just like the Lord says in his prayer, just like I said at the prayer at the beginning of this service, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's very meaningful. So let me ask you this. What are you giving up in your life for his will to be done here on earth? What have you given up day in, day out? How have you challenged yourself to place your own wants and needs on the back burner, knowing that Christ will give you what you need? What have you, how have you challenged yourself to give up those things in order to glorify God through your life. I think that's where we need to start. That's number one. How about number two, when we look at Christ as our example, not only do we need to glorify God through our lives, but it also means being, uh, having our light shine to the world means that we must show the world who our Savior is. I can, I can say that a different way. We need to show the world who their Savior is. If you paid attention to me when I said that the second thing that Christ did was save the world, well, you know, we can't do that. We cannot be the Savior of the world. He is the light of the world. He is the Savior of the world. But what we can do is we can point people to the Savior. And I'm talking about evangelism here. I'm not just talking about like your way of life and how you live and to show people an example. Listen, if you just if you never talk about Christ and you just show people a good example to follow, you know, you're you're really hurting them more than helping them, because if they don't know why you live, the reason the reason why you live the way you live, if they don't know that, then all they're going to try to do is match your good behavior. That's it. 
They're just going to say, well, he's a good person. I want to be like that. And they're not going to realize that, no, he's a sinful person. And I'm a a sinner just like he is. And I need the same Savior that he has. So it's not about just living our life, but it's about sharing God's word with people. It's about evangelizing to people. It's about sharing the gospel. Now let me ask you again, and let me challenge you again this morning. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? Now I'm not talking about, I'm going to pray for you. Don't count that as the gospel. But I really want to challenge you this morning because that's what we are supposed to do as, as Christians. We are these fragile vessels that carry around a wonderful message. It's the good news. We're supposed to glorify God with what we do, what we say. Our mission and our purpose on earth is to share the gospel with others so that they can see the power of God and that they can come to believe. When's the last time you shared the gospel? Now, I'm not talking about just like in work, but how about within your family? How about to your kids? Or how about in the work setting when, when that opportunity is there for you to do it? Or your neighbor? Or anybody else? I thought Brother Lee did a wonderful job today in Sunday school talking about evangelism. But if we are going to talk about being the light of the world, we cannot be a light without telling people about the light. We have to shine the light on Christ. So to evangelize means to, to put yourself out there. To tell them the reason of your faith and the reason of your life. Listen to this out of Luke eight sixteen. It says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter the house may see the light. See, that needs to be us with our lives. We need to be this wonderful light that points people to Christ. That means that we need to share our faith and we need to invite people into our fellowship. You know, we're going to start something here within our church. We're going to try something. I, I, I truly want to challenge our church to be evangelists. I, I want our church to share their faith. And... Um, we're getting things ready, but what we're going to do is that Sundays after church, you are going to be given a, a track and you're going to be given a card, community Baptist uh, church card that we have here. And we're going to remind our people to share the gospel and invite them to church. I think that's extremely important. You get one track every single Sunday. Now, don't worry, I'm, we're not going to be at the door checking to see if you gave it out or anything like that when you come back the next Sunday. That's between you and the Lord, but we're going to be there to help you, to give you the tools that you need in order to, to share, to make you more comfortable in sharing. I think that's going to be great, and I, I'm looking forward to how, how God's going to use that to grow his church. Bringing in more of the lost and helping them, seeing that they have a wonderful life in Christ. And then here's the third thing. I think this is really important, especially with our church and what we are going through here and now. In order to shine the light of Christ in this world, 
we must serve one another. We talked about how Christ, how he served humanity. We must serve one another. I think that's extremely important. Listen to this out of John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now look, check this out. This is something we struggle with, church. And I'm not just talking about like here in our fellowship, but I'm talking about the universal church worldwide. In most churches, 10% of the people do 100% of the work. And it's still a problem here. It, you know what? Honestly, truthfully, it always has been a problem. And this goes back to, this goes back to forsaking your own wants, forsaking your own desires, your own busy schedule, your own hectic life. And trying to figure out, where does the Lord want me to serve? For some, this is a mentality change where it's like, okay, I have the mentality that I'm here to be served, but we need to have a biblical mentality of I'm here to serve others. This is how we are supposed to be able to tell that we are his, that we serve one another. The Bible prompts us and commands us to serve it says that we are all united as a body of christ and if we are not serving one another then those body parts that are damaged and hurting they're not being ministered to we are all called to serve maybe a different capacity but we're all called to serve i go back to that whole thing about i said well i don't feel like i'm called to that certain area of ministry I wouldn't start there where I would start is looking where the church needs your help that's where I would start and deciding what are my gifts and what can I help the church with because that's the work that we need to be doing as his people that's the purpose we need to fulfill that's how we are going to be the light of the world now, I can tell you, as a church, we need all kind of different help. I had several requests to make a list of, of the different ministries that were open for service. I thought that was a great idea. It, it actually came to me several different times. And I have to be honest, I'll give you the real reason why I did it. It might be, might be bad of me, might not be, I'm not sure yet, I'm still thinking about it. But I had like four or five requests about where someone could serve. I said, you know what I need to do? And, and with those four or five requests, there was this comment that was made a couple of times. If I only knew where help was needed, then I would help. I said, okay, that gives me a great idea. I'm going to take that excuse away. I'm going to have us make a list, and I'm gonna, we're going to put every single thing down that we need help with. That way, you won't have to come to me or Pastor Laramie and ask where, I need, where we need help. It's there for you to see it. Now, God has given you talents. He has given you gifts. He has given you possessions. He has given you wisdom. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness. 
I'm telling you right now, church, you need to start using it. Not only for your good, but for his glory. Time is now. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It's very impactful because if he is our savior, that means we are a reflection of his light. I think we all need to really look at our lives and say, hey, what kind of light am I reflecting? Starts with me. Starts with Pastor Laramie. Starts with the leaders. Preparing this sermon, there are some things that I had to come to grips with this week for myself. I think there are some things that you have to come to grips with for yourself as well. But one thing we know is that we need to be obedient. We need to be given, we need to be living a life that praises God, living a life that points people to Christ, and living a life that ministers to his people and to the church. Let's pray.